You don't seem to understand the situation. I understand that if any more words come pouring out your cunt mouth, I'm gonna have to eat every fucking chicken in this room. Bronze back. Zach's back. Zach's back. Bronze back. We're all back. Zach's Zach's back. back. Hound's back. We're all back. Fuck Walter. We've been resurrected for you to and on this second goo episode following the seventh episode, The Broken Man. I survived a royal wedding. Ugh. And you made it out alive. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to give that wedding a color, Zach, from, you know, the spectrum, what would you, what color would you prescribe or ascribe to, to the it. chestnut brown color of whiskey. Ooh, that's good. So, I like that. That's yes. yeah. Surprised that's not already taken. It's really nice to be back. I I still feel actually a really big hole, uh, not being able to make Sunday night's recording. Well, we missed you. Number I one, missed you guys and too. Number two, when we were uh, doing our discussion, and we of course started out with the hound. Our first thought was. What would you think? How would you react knowing that your favorite character, I, I feel comfortable saying that, has returned to the show and, and did so in in pretty sound fashion? Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to say. It was uh, it was like watching a whole different show. It was like, I felt like we were watching uh, a flashback of a happier time, like Dharma era <laughs> it's, lost. It's so green. You know? It's green fields, man. You Yeah, Shambhala playing in the background and Dharma Everyone's events. smiling. Yeah. The show started differently, too. I mean, a number of people gave their owns to the fact that it just cut right to that opening scene. Right. Cold open. Yeah. It was fantastic. I feel like we need an Aussie man commentary of that sequence recut uh, and shortened down for time and comedic timing because in McShane, um, those sort of portrait shots of him, mm-hmm. and I know that you listening to this podcast would have noticed that because you love Game of Thrones enough to listen to a podcast about it, and they made sure as hell uh, to to make those astoundingly clear. His his lines were so well delivered, and I, I felt like I saw a glimmer in his eye that said, "I'm in McShane, and I have no idea what Game of Thrones is fucking about, <laughs> <laughs> but I can read the hell out of some lines." Yeah, he's and he he certainly can. They gave. I mean, there were so many good lines in this episode, but he had quite a few. And Roy McCann being back. I mean, Game of Thrones, does it get any better? Not really. Uh, I mean, you know, we were still holding out for Hodor's reappearance, but... Uh, still too soon, Eric. Yeah, yeah you still gotta give too it at least soon. Still season. Soon. <laughs> season and a half later, we'll, we'll get him back. But uh, for now, we're on top of the Earth. What was your reaction just, just seeing him there... Uh, and, and most importantly, learning the fact that he really wasn't resurrected in the sense that we all thought he would be in the books by a red priest, by somebody along the lines of a Thoros of Mir. He was really just able to survive on the side of the road when uh, Ian McShane's character just happens upon him and he coughs and he's able to be nurtured back to health. It turns out there was a septon hiding behind one of those rocks. <laughs> yeah. Not a maester, but just as good almost. Speaking of maesters, can we just talk about the presence of maesters in that episode and how I feel like it's setting up some of the stuff we've spoken about before with Sam heading to Old Town? Did anyone else catch that? I didn't. Uh, that's pretty cool. Did you guys notice how he was like, I mean, obviously Lady Mormont 
is a child and she needs help and Mr. Loom is there to help Brand. I know I'm going completely wildly off topic, but this is the second of the episode of the week. This is fine. But you know how it's like she leaned in and he was like, blah, 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 blah. I just felt, I was just like, here we go. And then there was the Maester later on with the Raven that gave Sansa the idea, or at least I think part of uh, the, the inspiration to write to who we believe is Littlefinger, who definitely is Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think that thing? It's, uh, it's a great point. Certainly setting up, like you said, at least from what we know from the books of Old Town, we know Sam is on his way there. Hopefully, uh, he makes it there in the next episode or so. I think uh, it takes less time to get to Essos than it does to get to different places in <laughs> Westeros, unless, of course, you're John, Sansa, north. and Davos, and you can just teleport your way across the north. Well, Littlefinger did that first. Yeah, Littlefinger, okay? too. He's he showed precedent. all the rest how to do it. And the Greyjoys have very fast ships, faster than the Black Pearl. Huh? She did say they had fast ships. That's true. Episode seven, we're seven out of ten episodes in, and oh. for the sake of that, we're on our second episode for that seventh episode, so this isn't even the first go at that episode. That's how deeper, as a perspective of our podcast is concerned, uh, we are into season six right now. And while we've said that so many of these episodes feel like finales in nature of uh, the, the type of sort of dramatic juice, just the chew that they're giving us, isn't it kind of, I don't know, it's fascinating to me that we're seven episodes in and, for example, we've gone nowhere in Marine. Mm-hmm. How is that different from the last five seasons though <laughs> you know right with GOT we can just have Jamie walking on a drawbridge and speaking to a character that hasn't been in the show for a few seasons and that's the dramatic tension that everyone's writing about mm-hmm. right and to your point about Marine I think that I mentioned this on the last episode with Daenerys specifically how she just got thrown in at the end of episode six and Mm -hmm. it was very reminiscent of other scenes that she has been in in past episodes and in past seasons particularly uh the misa scene uh and you know and and just there's there's these moments for her where she's around these large groups of people and she's able to create this atmosphere these rallying cries that go up and they're all in support of her but it never seems to really work itself out in the way that she hopes that it will. So my hope is that now that she's marching this army back in the direction of Marine, so we think, that she can finally get her ships from the Greyjoys and make her way to Westeros. Because quite honestly, I think part of the reason why we haven't spent as much time with her, part of the reason why we haven't spent as much time in Marine, is because they just feel that the story needs to move in the direction where she's ultimately headed back to her ultimate purpose, which is to claim the Iron Throne in Westeros. And and she needs to start getting there at this point. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I think that I know we joke about this all the time, but how quickly characters are jumping from place to place this season. Um, I think that that is another of consequence of them trying to speed up to the point that stuff matters is happening. Like, getting to the point where we can actually bring Danny back to Westeros and getting to the point where um, all of the storylines can actually start colliding together in a way that makes sense. And so I'm cool with that. Like I'm fine with, I'm fine with John and Sansa dancing between every house in the North within one episode. Um, if that means that we are quicker to the end, not that I'm trying to rush this story along, but right. but you know what I mean. Like I, yeah. well, no, I think so that's the okay. end, but the end game, right? Right, you, right. End game. That's a better way to put it. 
Yeah. We have an episode called The Battle of the Bastards coming up this season, and it the story needs to get everything out of the way. Will Gendry be there? You know, that's... <laughs> I, I wouldn't he used say... Use the battle as his chief weapon in the battle. <laughs> you know what? Never, never say never, and you know, the Hound is... Since the Hound has come back. The Hound is back. The Hound is back. There we go. <laughs> yes. for everyone. Drumsticks all around, guys. Every it's on me tonight, boys. <laughs> Lem, Lemon Cloak and the Hound in the same scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, lemon Cloak. And you were talking about the speed in which travel is flowing. In, in Monday's episode, you said, I'm just going to be okay with it now. I'm just going to stop thinking about it. I think that's what you said, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You were just like, from now on, it's just okay. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a good way to look at it. You know, how, how many times have we gotten our wires crossed thinking about the mechanics of, well, they shouldn't have been able to go here, this and this. And it's just, to me, that just seems like unnecessary nitpicking almost. Right. Maybe it's not. I mean, with respect to the geography and the pace of the story that George is writing, I think that that must be taken into account. But I don't think that the story suffered because Sansa and John went to House Glover and House Mormont in the same episode, even though they're so right. geographically separate. You know what I mean? Like, did did you feel like the weight of what they were doing was sacrificed because they saw more than one person? No. Not I, at all. I felt as if it was important that they include as many of those houses as they possibly could on screen. So, it didn't just seem as if they went to one house in House Mormont. Right. Or they could have just sent ravens and not done that in the show and just completely cut it out and filled it in with some with some bullshit that people would like and would, would tweet about. Like maybe some new scenes in a brothel. Tyrion make uh, Grey Worm and uh, Missandei laugh, for instance. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I like that we saw multiple houses in one episode because it's fun to compare the two and to look at the different reactions between these people that are pledged to how stark and mm-hmm. what their thoughts are on the situation. So instead of having to wait episodes between these conversations, we get to hear them back to back, which I think is interesting and tells us a lot about the sentiment in the North that we haven't really explored. Yeah. We do hear about other houses that they did reach out to via Raven. But one question that I had, and it just kind of popped into my head as we were sitting here recording now is, why has there been no outreach to the reeds? Because we haven't gotten to see the second part of the Tower of Joy yet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. A reed army would really make some great, great difference to the second half of the season. That would just be really cool. It's like the Fremen and Dune. It's like, they're so good at the land, but everyone knows that they're hidden they can, in the swamps. They, they don't need the ground. I'm making it up. But yeah, yeah just given their prominence, given the, the allegiance that they've shown to House Stark, both at the Tower of Joy with Ned and Halland, but also what we've seen Mira do for Bran, what Jojen did for Bran, there's a very close connection between these families. I'm just surprised that we haven't seen the reeds appear in any way outside of of Mira and Jojen. That's a good question, but I'm confident that they that they will return, man. I mean, it's important at all that we got this body and spirit of the show so far in reference to what we saw back with Rob and Catelyn. In storylines that have been all but forgotten by the casual fan, I don't mean particularly because they wanted to, but just because it's been literally years since it's happened. And not everyone goes back and rewatches or listens to podcasts or visits fan sites. So when House Glover stands in front of John and Sansa and makes direct references that are against what we want to be for hyping um, the motivations of John and Sansa, it's good to see. You know, it, it feels good. It, it it broadens the story out and it takes up screen time to do that. Mm-hmm. 
and the show didn't have to go there, but they did, and they continue to, we're getting what some people consider the most boring parts of A Feast for Crows right now in season six. Right. And I think that it's time to appreciate the show for doing it in a way that makes it compelling within the scope that we're getting it. Certain things are being changed, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's for the sake of adaptation, please look at any other example. Well, it's about balance. It's balance. It's because you have all, you know, at the same exact time, you have Bran, uh, you know, fighting for the understanding of his crazy new power and getting glimpses of all places and all times. It's crazy. Like, but that's, and I know it wasn't in the same episode, but it certainly, you know, could have been. Uh, and that I'm sure when we get back to Bran in the uh, season, Jamie will still be, you know, in the Riverlands doing stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's going to come. And I think that's that's what it is. It's all about balance and the adaptation. And they really included a lot more of the um, questionable in the in the terms of like, how will it end? Um, more exciting subplots in with the logistical ones that this needs to happen geographically so that this castle is under this rule for this war, etc. Because ultimately, it's just stacking pieces up so that the wall can fall. And the army of the dead can kill nearly everybody until hmm. Daenerys you're, gets you're there. You're really big on this wall falling. If this is not the <laughs> first time you you've said so that. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I think if it if it doesn't fall, it's a missed opportunity. Episode ten is called "The Winds of Winter." I mean, well then, so, uh, well, gonna, then. Yeah. well then, Zach, I agree with what you're saying, and and mentioned on the episode earlier this week that. Part of what I really enjoyed about this episode, and and I know a lot of people have said that they didn't enjoy parts of it, is that it was so strategic in nature. It was very much a feeling of early seasons of Game of Thrones where you had less of the magical undertones, even though they were still there in this episode, and more of the war planning, more of the alliances being forged between different houses, maybe some that you wouldn't normally expect. A lot of behind-the-scenes gameplay going on, whether it was Sansa reaching out to Littlefinger or Marjorie playing the High Sparrow. I felt no matter where you were in this episode, there was just a lot of that sense of this is a true to the core Thrones episode. Yeah, I really like that. I so like- screw you if you didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it definitely, I can see why people didn't enjoy it, um, which again is probably not as many people that are in this audience. But I think that it's important to have these episodes that kind of slow down and like you're saying, Mike, are play the game and reset the pieces because we're at the end of the season and we've only got a couple episodes and we think about how much still has to happen or how much we hope is still going to happen, um, there's a lot of ground to cover, literally and not literally. <laughs> but so I think that I think that it's important to like take a step back and look at how the game is being played before we get into all these massive battles. Well, it's cool that we're doing that right now in episode seven of season six. Right. I know that there's room for improvement in certain elements, but we have to remember that there are hundreds of people working on this. And it's being adapted from a fantasy epic. And as I know that some of you may would love to turn on the podcast and hear us rip to shreds certain things that weren't perfectly portrayed to what is the vision inside of your head. My position on it is that there's always going to be things about different episodes that you like or dislike. And we've certainly brought things up on this podcast. I, I, and. I'm not afraid. I just mentioned earlier on how I didn't like the ending of episode six, how I thought it was very much, 
consistent with how we've seen Danny portrayed in the past. And I think it's time to move that story along. And and I think that that's fair. That's objective. We've talked at length on this show about Dorn. And meanwhile, I'm not sure what's going on there. I haven't seen Remember it since Dorn? episode one. <laughs> I so I guess it. Dorn is done. Uh, I'll probably eat my words in two episodes. But Is that why this or, episode was cut short? Because they just decided to cut Dorn out of it? <laughs> it yeah, took it. The eight minutes belong <laughs> to Dorn. I, I predict that we'll see at least one more minute of Dorn this season. Uh, if if for only just to just to say that there weren't that that, that we did, guys, we have to remember that there are sand snakes possibly still sneaking around the capital. So while all this is happening, all of our speculation, like Marjorie could be playing the high sparrow so well, but at the same time, Obara could just come up and spear the shit out of her. Ugh. Well, right? there's that possibility. <laughs> but I know that there were uh, a trio of questions that were posed over on Watchers on the Wall that uh, we asked to the many fans out there and there were some very good questions the first of which having to do with the hound and zach i'm most interested in your thoughts having seen your best friend return for the first time since season four what do you think he's up to where is he going what is he doing what's his purpose i thought that he had found purpose in his new village it looked like they were building some kind of sept or possibly a mill Either way, it was wood used well, and he was swinging that axe so surely. And Brother Ray was uh, an intriguing, fascinating new character. <laughs> that he's called Brother Ray. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. It's perfect. And it was just, it was just fun, you know. The food, the the cups, uh, the music, the ambiance, and yeah, it was rather, rather ominous. When a much more mean—that's the only word I can think of—Lem Lemon Cloak rolled up with two friends and threw down a. Uh, a pretty harsh warning with, from the words of the Red God, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just yeah, it was really sad for me, and I really felt for for the Hound Sandal Clegane in that moment. But I, I was more so overwhelmed with feelings of happiness that he had come back to the show because um, I was partial to what they did with his character from a creation standpoint, not only the portrayal and just the sheer acting chops, the presence that, that Rory McCann has on screen that I think elevates mm-hmm. the show in a big way, but the directors and the way that he's written, I think they've, they've sincerely allowed him to embody what, what I've always just called the sort of Westerosi and Tarantino style where they shoot so boldly this, this character who, who hulkingly fills up the screen. And in this episode, I think some of that was verified because he was pulling that axe out of the stump that remind me so much like the opening sequence from Inglorious Bastards. Uh, when Michel Lepetit pulls the uh, or has the axe in his stump, and the 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 OSS <laughs> or the SS soldier comes to interview him, and uh, I'm really excited about the possibility of seeing him uh, just travel. But judging from what we've seen with the stuff in the north, I don't think that we'll necessarily see him travel. I think we may see him go straight to his destination. And uh, regarding his destination, I mean, we don't know. You know, we didn't even know he was back. So. My my best guess is, I know we want to say Clegane Bowl get hype, but I want to understand how that would be his first decision after right. seeing someone he had just sort of begun trusting as a new mentor and sort of seeing as a savior. Right. Is that his first instinct? Does he react in that way and immediately leave to go maybe take vengeance on what his brother did to him? I don't know. I think... You brought up a good point about him kind of starting to find a purpose again. And at the end of watching it, this episode for the first time on Sunday, I was just like, why was the hound there? Like, why didn't he just like 
go back to doing what he was doing before and seeking revenge. I'm sure it took him a long time to recover. It took him a long time to recover. And I think that you also, like I said, he he kind of, I think he's changed a bit. And I, I, upon rewatching a couple more times, um, I think that he's found like almost some sort of peace with, with these people. And um, he always had a kinder side though, too. Uh, Looking back, you know, earlier seasons ago, uh, his relationship with Sansa, the way that he sees the world is actually lighter. The world is just such a horrible uh, place that he's mm-hmm. often called to do great violence and witness great violence. And of course, he responds in kind whenever that happens. Uh, you know, my thoughts are he will definitely go and track down Lem Lemon Cloak and uh, rip his rip his tongue out. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I still think that what appealed to the Hound and why he stayed longer than he needed to necessarily uh, because he isn't, you know, it seems to be back in tip-top shape health-wise uh, was because this was something good. This was something genuinely good in a world of shit. And uh, just looking at like, it's in my notes too, like the good-naturedness of everyone, the food line and the tents and the smiles on everyone's faces and the community sense. I honestly, start think, over. I honestly think that appealed to him uh, in mm. more ways than one. And yeah, new beginnings, everything is there. And it's almost like that could have been an end scene from the series, right? Well, this is a glimpse into the future. We could have this. (laughs) Right. I also am a little bit uncertain as to what the Hound is going to do now outside of tracking down the Brotherhood, which seemed to have a little bit of a different agenda than what we left them with, because to do what they did, what Lem did, right, to take out this entire group of people to take out Brother Ray seems to be the complete opposite of what they stood for a couple seasons ago. If they were Robin Hoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You definitely get a, a different vibe from them than I think we've seen in the past. And I think, Hannah, you brought this up on the episode earlier in the week, but the fact that the Hound returns when Arya seems to be on a path back to Westeros is also interesting to me. Do you think the Brotherhood has a new leader? Certainly possible. And who might this new leader be? <laughs> According to you guys, Arya Stark. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about we that. We didn't say that. <laughs> Actually, I think we did. Did uh, we? But it's, we said uh, a lot it's, of stuff. It's a nice transition because the second question that we asked everybody is 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 all about Arya. And Hannah, you gotta you gotta kind of fill us in here because you've been reading more and more theories about what could be happening or what did happen on this week's episode uh, regarding Arya. And I just want to be entertained by your storytelling, your recap of what, you know, the stuff that you've read uh, about these crazy theories. The question that we asked was recent Arya speculation knows no bounds, uh, including Jack and Waif confusion, Lady Stoneheart, etc. What do you make of the theories? What are your theories? Hannah, what are your theories? Um, well, none of these are my theories specifically, so <laughs> shout mm-hmm. out to everybody who has Which one I've do read. you like the most? I don't, so I don't know. I don't know. So I think that like everyone over the last couple of days, as I've rewatched those scenes with Arya, it, I just am more and more confused by her actions. I'm more and more confused as to why she was wandering the streets unarmed. Where was Needle? Why was she by herself? Why wasn't she more on her guard? And not annoyed isn't the right word, but you think about how much Arya has been through the last couple seasons doing what she's been doing and training. And for her to just like all of a sudden have all of that taken away, whether that's 
because she dies or because she just isn't quick enough or fast enough or smart enough. And it's kind of a would, rookie mistake. Yeah, it's such a rookie mistake. So, um, I mean, the theory, there's a theory. Well, I guess it's not really a theory, but just a, there's got to be something more to, more to this. There has to be more than what we're seeing on the screen because I feel like that just isn't satisfying for Arya's story at all. What do you guys think about Arya just hanging out in Bravos the day after she defects yeah, from the most dangerous society sense. of assassins in the world? I mean, any single one of those people <laughs> could be and probably would be an assassin. She's just straight hanging. Like she's not she's just wandering, mm-hmm. like looking at the water, Staring thinking up. about her life. So there's <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense. That's not Arya. It's not Arya at all. So there's this idea that it's Jackin who is playing Arya, who who looks like Arya. I don't know how, how that works, but Jack is pretending to be Arya, though, because you know how the waif was asked to make to make sure Arya doesn't suffer, and then she <laughs> hurts him the most yeah. painfully. Like, it's just a very painful stabbing and not a quick way to kill someone. So, no. the, yeah. so I like this idea that this was a test for the waif. Um, I don't know if that means that Jacken has to die. I don't really like that either but it's an idea that's out there Only that i think is interesting life. <laughs> he's and no I, one though but he's already killed himself right? Yeah. right but so i don't know i think that it's interesting for jack to be involved i think it's an interesting that this could be a test for the waif and not a test for aria and i just regardless of what it is there has to be more to what we've seen than aria just strolling through bravos having a good time mm-hmm. looking at the sites before she leaves Let's hope that's not her, because then we'll be having a whole new discussion about Bravos instead of Dorn. But how how would that work uh, exactly to have someone else wear her face? Because my understanding is that in order for that to be possible, you need to die and be prepped in the manner that we've seen Arya and Jacken and the other members of the House of mm-hmm. Black and White doing. Well, she's seen her face before. She saw her face last season. And I, don't know if I that thought was, she was drug yeah. tripping when that happened. but She I, could have been. Yeah, but I guess that's part of the answer to the question is we don't know perhaps what pact Jack and Arya have made with each other, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. if it is possible to use somebody's face while they're still wearing it, <laughs> having passed. Yeah, I, it's certainly weird. Uh, but with that being said, I agree with the speculation. I think that something is up here. I don't think that Arya, given how cautious she has been throughout the course of the last few seasons that she's been in Bravos, that as Zach pointed out, she would leave the House of Black and White, which is home to the most dangerous assassins in the entire world that we are experiencing, and just kind of waltz throughout the streets of Bravos with no sort of um, guard up is, is just not how Arya would choose to to operate and Mm-mm. i don't think that you'd bring aria all the way to bravos to learn and to get educated you know th- this this has uh roots all the way back in season one with with serial pharrell yeah. right and to have her stabbed fall over the bridge into the water and then you know sort of wander through the streets and and eventually pass out and die yeah it's something george might do but i think her purpose is greater and my question would then be what would be the point of her story and of her existence in this series if that's her end game exactly it's dumb if that's her end game it can't be but i'm not sure what it is there are a lot of theories and they're all interesting but 
I hope that the truth ends up being something that brings Arya back to being one of my absolute favorites in the series because she was that. And because of these last two seasons, she is not. Right. Yeah. A lot of people have said that. A lot of people have really spoken out about how her storyline has just kind of flatlined a little bit and has not been as interesting. Uh, I've also seen theories out there about the waif and that the waif could be just a figment of Arya's imagination and is really just a duplication of her. The the Fight Club theory? The Fight Club theory. Yeah, Yeah. Fight Club theory. We should talk about that just in case people don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, is is the theory not the waif represents the part of Arya that lusts to become no one and Arya herself represents the part of herself that is herself or Mm -hmm. uh, doubt, like you said, or maybe... Uh, being unsure about her decision. Does right. Arya want to become no one, though? She, I think she she's torn. Did. Her might. did she ever? Uh, I can't answer that. That's I'm a not fair sure. question. Yeah. She said that she did, but I mean, she. A lot of it, I think, was a reaction. She had the coin. She trained with Sirio. She had her experiences with Jack and everything and her else that she would have done was taken away from her. Yeah, life is, was right. really tough for Arya, and she went through a hell of a lot of stuff. And I think it, you know, just kind of makes sense that she's done what she's what she's done. But, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to talk poorly about Arya's storyline because the implications of what she's doing, the scale of what she's doing, is is fascinating. It's just what she's literally doing that isn't fascinating, right? I mean, I, ideally, if she could train to be a faceless assassin, uh, having her on your side would be a great advantage uh, to anyone, uh, including her remaining family, or rather exactly. Arya's remaining family, uh, the Starks. And, you know, that that would be, that's the appeal for me, because Jacken uh, fulfilled, you know, back in season two, fulfilled the obligation he was under to help her out, obviously saw a future for her, gave her the coin, but at the same time, like, he, you know, he's not retainable. And presumably in order to hire these guys, you just need to pay them. Okay. But, you know, I think ideally we would have a family member who has learned this. And in terms of just exploring this world of ice and fire and learning the secrets behind the magic and, and learning about the faceless God and what he represents for the world uh, at yeah. large, this storyline hasn't been completely flat. Um, but you do really feel like there's more. And it, it mm-hmm. certainly cannot end with Arya stumbling through the streets, bleeding out. As to whether she was Arya, that's, you know, a different yeah. matter. I think there's a lot of possibilities here. And, and I think the fact that we are in Bravos, that we are in the East, that magic plays a much larger role here than probably it does throughout most of Westeros is an indication that things are not what they seem to be. Uh, but I'm also of the mindset that it could be Arya and she could find her way to a Lady Crane or somebody within that troop that has the ability to heal her. And we that need a brother way- Ray in Essos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you need somebody. You need a, a really good maester, Kyburn, to get in there and uh, <laughs> fix uh, Arya. He's up, busy but- running his candy shop. Uh, yeah, I yes, do like is. Lady Crane. But let's also just remember, like, the Waif could still be in trouble because she didn't approach Arya the way that she was instructed she to. was instructed to yeah. and that could be a major major problem for her if it is in fact well regardless whether it's aria whether it's jackie it makes no difference right uh it's it's still a problem for the waif 
come next episode, at least it seems to be the case. None of this mm. tastes good to me, though, because the waif is acting very... She's being motivated from herself rather than from the group, I feel. That's true enough. Yeah, that's that's very, very, very true. And it's obvious. It's not something... It's not even like we're uncovering it from staring at it a whole right, lot. That's, right. that's mm-hmm. just how she's behaving. And Do you think that it's because she sees Arya as being a threat to her and possibly the waif is trying to endear herself to Jacken such that she's able to really become his disciple, so to speak, and Arya is a major contender for that spot? I think so, Maybe. but there hasn't been a lot of character development in that vein. It's mostly been positioned directly toward Arya and none of the way for herself. So I'd be interested to see if that, you know, if it shakes out that way, then then fine. But um, I think that's it's good that we asked this question because it, it feels like this this riddle of what is happening here is about to come to a head. Uh, all all of the different pieces, Jack and the Waif, Arya, the environment, the motivations before, during, and after she came here. I think we're going to understand a lot more of that soon. I hope that we do. What are your theories, though, guys? Like, what do you definitively... This doesn't have to be something that you've researched or or truly feel like is actually going to happen, but I'm curious to think what the four of us believe will happen if maybe we don't think the same way or maybe we do. I think that my worry with what's happening with Arya is that they're just going to get her out of Bravos as quickly as possible and we're not going to get things tied up in the way that we would maybe want them to. I mean, that would amount to she'd have to, like, look over her shoulder the rest of her life. Right. If she, yeah, which that's, that would suck. Like, if she does not put an end to, you know, all lingering debts here, essentially, um, maybe she'll burn the house down. That's good, because if I were Arya, I would have, the moment I defected, I would have snuck onto a ship with that silver if I had it and been like, where are you going? It doesn't have to be Westeros. I need to get as yeah, far get from here, here as possible immediately. They can probably find you, though. Like, just get in the ship. <laughs> Who cares? Like, you don't <laughs> yeah. have to be walking around the streets. I, I, I think that Arya still has something to learn before she leaves. I'm not sure what that is, but there has to be some closing piece to this story. Kind of going off what Hannah said, I, I just can't see us moving Arya back to Westeros without some sort of finality to Bravos. I feel a lot better about it now that I've talked about it with you guys, though. They're not going to leave it. Good. I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not. Well, I mean, and we know that the title of next episode is called No One. Yeah, that's true. And and so, I, I could not... That, that one little tidbit alone gives me all of the confidence I ever needed to think that this storyline will be paid off and in a big way. Well, and we saw, and we saw in the preview for next week, the famous Arya jumping off the wall that was right? the trailer which, which we've been thinking yeah. about for months so yeah. All little right. did we know she's gonna be stabbed right before <laughs> there, yeah this All is right. this is 100 percent. this is gonna get done and soon and probably in a real cool way knowing the show and knowing these books smiling really big right now yeah it's a neat little bow i think uh, only one more episode until she becomes lady stoneheart <laughs> that would be pretty damn cool not too many cool. uh, people enjoyed that theory, at least from what I was reading in the uh, comments, <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I don't know that I really believe that theory much anymore going into the next episode, but... It's still interesting. I still it's think it's interesting. interesting. We need to find her at the bottom of the river, cut off her face, nail it to the wall. Jeez. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, uh, look, that's why we're in this space right now. I mean, there's no there's no right or wrong until we see the show. And that's why we have these discussions. This episode of Game of Owns is brought to you by Loot Crate. Loot Crate is a monthly subscription box service for epic geek and gamer items and pop culture gear. For less than $20 a month, you get four to eight items that include licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Make sure to head to LootCrate.com slash owns and enter code owns to save $3 on any new subscription. As a budding uh, or returning gamer myself, I'm thrilled and excited that we have this sponsorship, that Loot Crate is partnering with us for it, and that we have our own owns code because I'm signing up. I don't know if your shelves are quite full, Eric. Uh, they are full. Thank you <laughs> for noticing. Room. Loot Crate is more than just a subscription service. It's an entire community of fans that share their experience and interact with each other around the unboxing of each month's crate. And they guarantee $40 plus in value in every crate. Sometimes it's a lot more. Every month there is a different theme and all items are curated around that theme. Previous crates have included items from franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, The Legend of Zelda, Micah, and many <laughs> more. Micah? Yes. Is there a Micah theme? I'm going to get on this. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Pop culture is full of brave new worlds and societies in flux that don't always turn out for the best. June's theme will be exploring some of the ways things can go wrong with dystopia, Ooh. featuring classics RoboCop, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and The Matrix, and oh, new nice. faves Bioshock Infinite and Fallout 4. We've got a figure, cool collectibles, and of course, our dystopterific monthly tea. You only have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive this month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. So go to lootcrate.com slash owns and enter code owns to save $3 on your new subscription today. Our last question. This is an important one. I just want to preface it by saying how beautiful was River Run? Beautiful. Green valleys. And That's where I want to hang. It felt like um, almost near, almost perfectly near the um, the way I pictured it when I read it in the book. Yeah. Kind of nailed it. Anyway, that is not important. <laughs> Will drama at River Run unfold as we've come to know in the books? How does Brianne's presence work into the drama with Jamie? I think this is an interesting question because I think it can go, in my mind, it can equally go into separate ways. So in I mean we can in the books essentially what happens for those who don't know is that Blackfish is, uh, surrenders. Yeah, Jamie talks to Edmure who talks to Blackfish and he surrenders but then escapes. He surrenders and then escapes. And so I don't know what your guys impression is, but after seeing him in this episode, which I think he may have been one of my favorite parts, I don't see him surrendering like he did in the books and quietly escaping. And I could be totally wrong. Um, I think that there's a good chance that he hears about what's happening in the North and maybe rushes to the aid of Sansa. Um, But I don't, I don't necessarily see him surrendering quietly after his conversation with Jamie. I think he may get, my own of the season for when he said that he was disappointed at Jamie. So good. So good. Yeah, it was pretty good. So good. And like, think about Jamie standing in front of his hero, you know, this legend (laughs) and this man that he's revered. And it's like, "Mm, (laughs) you're all right. 
Yeah, Jamie's been so strong these past couple seasons, ever since his time with Brienne, and just to have him sort of whittled down to a very small person and was kind of interesting to see. I don't know what to think. I, I, I love the Blackfish. I think just an amazing portrayal of a very strong, kind of old, rustic character. As far as whether or not it's going to unfold as we know it in the books, I think that we've seen enough departures from the books at this point to anticipate that things may play out a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, on on, on Watchers on the Wall, uh, a commenter Dorian agrees with what Hannah said that maybe the Blackfish won't escape this time uh, because there are you know several characters, like including the Hound, that we didn't quite see die and they kind of got away, but maybe they'll sort of streamline and give a more definitive ending to that character. Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm not 100% con- convinced on that, but I do think that we see him so adamant that he's going to die in the castle that he was born in. Um, yeah. You know, we see, that we know line. that Brienne's going to meet up with Jamie. I don't know what other conversations are going to be happening in the next episode. And so maybe, maybe hearing about what's happening with the Starks is going to make him want to go aid them and and i, well, he has I to like keep his his oath to catelyn as well like the last time that jamie and brienne saw each other was Oathkeeper, uh and that's you know her sword and i i, I think it's very possible that brienne's presence will remind him uh of of the sort of promises mm. that he's made that is interesting though because brienne could tell brendan he she could say hey jamie lannister against the counsel of everyone, if he counseled anyone, sent me away with a Valyrian steel sword to rescue the Stark girls, if possible. Like, he may be the Kingslayer, but I think that could add an interesting twist, but I don't know if she's going to get an audience with him, so I think that that may be some of the sort of dramatic hanging that we never get to have, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. She'll just have the conversation with Jamie, and part of us will be screaming, just go talk the three of you together and sort (laughs) this out. Yeah. And Jamie Jamie defending the phrase is some uh, I hate watching that. There's uh, a a comment on our questions thread on Watchers on the Wall and this is what Kyle C says about it. He says Brienne will convince the Blackfish to yield River Run to Jamie and head north with his army to Sansa's aid. Interesting. And in return, hmm. after the north is reclaimed, they will repay the Tully's loyalty by marching south to take out the phrase. Wow. Yeah, I like that. If the Battle of the Bastards is episode nine, it, it, I guess it is possible uh, in episode 10 for the phrase to get their own red wedding. What a mess, though, <laughs> the phrase. Their whole thing trying to get Blackfish to give them their <laughs> castle back, and they're just kind of standing. There's a couple of them standing out front. It's like muddy and gross, and they're just like, hey, you know, we might kill Edmure. And then Jamie rolls up and he's like, you guys, come on. <laughs> what does he say? He says that, you know, the next time we, we stand outside these walls and threaten the Blackfish, we'll have men, not whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have an army out here. What a Eight, mess. Yeah. What do you say? Like 8,000 people came in. Just... <laughs> it's, just <not> <laughs> it's a good thing we're friends. Or we yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a return for Brun. I'm sad I didn't get to talk about that with you guys on Sunday. His uh, line with Jamie that you guys, I think, said at the end of the episode was just, yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't fucking yeah. say it. <laughs> There's real power. There's real, real, real power there uh, now that Jamie's there. But I think that his actions will, I don't say endear the Blackfish toward him. But yeah, if, if Brienne gets that audience, I think it'll change things significantly. And 
Who the hell well, knows? Well, she does. Maybe. I mean, from the preview, right? She well, does yeah, get yeah, that course, audience with the Blackfish. I, I, I could see a a sort of. Oh, she does. I thought yeah. it was just with Jamie, dude, from the preview. Oh. I thought I saw her with the Blackfish. Oh, maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I saw a leaked episode. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him, Micah. Micah, I tell us what there's such, it, You guys all touched on this, but but I think that there's this great opportunity for allegiances to form that were previously unexpected or don't follow the the the, the books to the, to the what the question is asking. You know, for for Jamie to have to honor his commitment to protect Sansa to potentially go and oh, fight man. on her behalf. Oh man! Oh to man! Have Let to the then go against the phrase. I I I think there's a lot here. You know, could, and and is that what the conversation between the Blackfish and Jamie is setting up? The the disappointment factor, right? Jamie has the chance to really demonstrate that he is an honorable individual by delivering on what he promised to Catalan and and what he promised to Brienne. And and I think that it's going to be interesting to see in these next couple of episodes, is he true to what the Lannisters want and specifically what Cersei wants? There's that line in the preview, or maybe it was even in this episode, I'm I'm forgetting about, you know, how all he wants to do is get back to Cersei and nothing's going to mm-hmm. stand in his way. And that's, do that's you think very that's like reminiscent. a misdirection? I think yeah. it was just mean to say to Brienne. Right. And but is that the Jamie that's like the Jamie who threw Bran out of the window in season one, right? That's mm-hmm. that is not the Jamie that we've come to know over the course of these last couple of seasons. So which one will we get? Yeah, but God I think about damn it. And will he survive? <laughs> but how much we want the Jamie redemption that we got in the books and that we're not quite getting the same as we're getting on the show. You know what I mean? Like I feel like show Jamie is much more likely to mean it exactly what he says when he, all he wants to do is get back to Cersei. And I think that book Jamie is more likely to go and fight with the Starks, like you're saying. So I think I, I can't decide if like it's a form of my own personal wish fulfillment for Jamie to quote unquote do the right thing or if I really think that he's committed to the Lannisters. You're just thinking about him in that armor. Yeah. <laughs> I will ship whatever of. the hell any of you want me to ship. I don't care if Jamie Lannister, uh, if he defects with all of those men and helps out the Starks, um, or if he does anything other than what I think he's going to do, actually, mm-hmm. then this is going to be so cool. Then Cersei will really have nothing. She's Jamie got enough to deal with. She's going to blow up King's Landing. 2K16. Jamie kills Ramsay. 2K16. <laughs> Could you yeah. imagine Jamie and John and Braun and Podrick and all and those Sansa? guys riding no. beside each other? And Brienne. And Brienne. I'm getting that shot tattooed on my back. If it <laughs> In full color. Yeah. If it happens. Man, this is heating up. So many things. Uh, I mean, these characters have been so spread out over the course of this entire series, and now they're all kind of coming together in in places that were really not suspected and alliances that were probably never even thought to be possible. I mean, you have in this episode, you have Davos standing next to John and Sansa talking to this nine, ten-year-old girl. It's we sent a mean letter to Stannis. <laughs> um, I mean, no, beginning this season, you talked about it being unpredictable. Beginning this season, we weren't even 100% sure John was coming back. 
Uh, and now we're looking we're at him leading. We wink. Were. Now wink. we're looking at him leading <laughs> yeah. an army. Wink. Right. No, you're you're right. And you have uh, Theon and, and Asha out yeah. in Volantis. That's the weird. Yeah, I that is not settled with me yet. Like I still like I'm just like oh my god, that's real. Talk She's about gonna how good flyer is Theon? Miles. I mean, you have Theon's gone from Winterfell to the Iron Islands Bring to it. Volantis. Yeah. You know what? That is like going to be show. probably my own for the season is uh, Theon's, <laughs> the miles that he traveled. <laughs> it's, that's a good I idea. Think. I'm going to let that brew. I'd mm. rather have Theon where he is now than still trudging through the woods trying to get so back to the Iron Islands. Yeah. How good was he in this episode, though? Fine shot. I mean, we haven't talked about it this particular episode we're doing right now, but just a look on his face when he's talking to, to Yara and... and you can just see so much of what has happened to him just in his mm-hmm. eyes. And I think that's, I think it was an incredible scene. Did I call her Asha? I called, I called her by her real name, didn't that's I? That's okay. That's okay. I can't remember. Every time I'm about to say her name, I have to like, look, think in my head. Call her Asha now since Osha is dead. <laughs> right? We can call her whatever yeah. we want. This show okay. calls her Yara. Before we move on to reading all of your owns, I just want to say that if... The things with Arya, this is sort of two of our questions, maybe three of our questions in one. Let's say Jamie um, heads toward the north and there's a it's it's scary, but I think something bad might happen there. Just as we like get the man that we've always wanted. Um but I think I'd be happy just knowing he did that. Yeah. But that's a whole other episode. Um the hound just himself with that axe goes after uh, the brother, the Brotherhood without banners. And my axe joins forces with them. I don't know why he would after what just happened. Maybe he will. Arya comes to Westeros, and like episode ten, they both converge. All of these groups, like at the same time, on um on Walder Frey. After everything's and then going, a dragon so, flies oh, over in the sky. God. But could you imagine Arya and and the Hound meeting up in that way and just like, hey, we're both trying to kill the same guy? It was so awesome. Yeah. I'd love it. Like the look in their eyes at each other of pure understanding. Like, let's do this. Wait, are you going to knock me out with this axe to save me? And he hands her the axe. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, the dead over there on the hill. <laughs> Go get him. And she's like, all right. <laughs> also, the walls coming down, and yeah. then. It goes to credits, and then we have to wait a year for season seven to come. Yeah, one thing that nobody is talking about is if the mall, if the wall falls or you know just sort of melts, uh, it would actually flood a great portion of Westeros, and they'd be it would all be swampland. So the reeds would ultimately uh, mm. get some new territory. Yeah, it'd be great for <laughs> so the reeds they would and the crows. Before eye. the White Walkers came, <laughs> yes, can White oh, they Walkers could, swim? They could ice skate. They could ice skate all through this to get from place to place. They're even more pissed off because they're like, we hate water. <laughs> Those are the opposite of rollerblades. They are. Oh god, <laughs> they are. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's do the owns. Uh, well, Zach, you you need to uh, you know uh, give us your own from this episode as you did yeah. not get a chance to. Whoa. Sorry, sorry to surprise you, to spring that on you. I wanted to warn you, I was going to type in the Skype chat, but then I thought, you know what? <laughs> he never knows what his own is going to be anyway. He can just make one up now. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> okay, if this was Arya on the bridge, own to the wave for just... Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> that was terrifying. She was Killing so scary looking. Freaking Mortal Kombat over here. But real own to that beautiful village, idyllic. And Brother Ray and Brother Hound. Yeah, that was good. Brother Hound, I like that. <laughs> well, now that we've all given our owns, it's time to... Uh, Eric, can you grab the satchel from uh, oh, just uh, over where, there? Where did we leave it? 
Is it on the couch? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. It's a couch in your tent. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty it's fancy. Like Harry Potter, you know yeah. where they. I've heard of that <laughs> show. <laughs> Sing. My own goes to Elena of House Terrell for keeping her true namesake, or keeping true to her namesake <laughs> and puncturing Cersei's ego. Hashtag Elena for Prez 2K16. 2K16. Clarence Horley owned to Braun because. So much for alphabetical. Braun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, Micah. <laughs> Micah really wanted that one. <laughs> That's a funny sorry, one. Anna, go ahead. At Jill K on Twitter, own to the phrase looking like the Knights of Neve asking for shrubbery. Hashtag first ever own. Welcome. Lindsay Alexandria. All of the owns to Lady Mormont for schooling both John and Sansa. Hashtag are you smarter than a fifth grader? Hashtag Dip Thrones. Haley Joe Phoenix. Own to the hound for proving the theory that if you don't see them die, don't count them out of the game. Hashtag or what you don't see die is never dead. Dolores Ev on Twitter. My own goes to my dad who's been walking around the house literally howling and saying the hound is loose repeatedly hashtag he's hype can I move in I'm glad I'm not the only one holy shit the hound dad jokes yeah Amy Calhoun says, own to Liana Mormont for giving Arya a run for her money as sassiest, most badass little girl in the North. Hashtag 62 fighting men. <laughs> the Hound is loose. At Road to Tomorrow, my own has to ultimately go to Jamie for slapping the taste out of that phrase mouth. Hashtag golden pimp slap. Hashtag please stop talking. Anna's uncle, Alex Pennick, own to Jamie for teaching Walter Rivers <laughs> what the five fake fingers say to the face. <laughs> Jen Calhoun on Twitter, own to Theon's reaction to this understatement a bad few years <laughs> hashtag theon's terrible horrible no good very bad years hashtag <laughs> if you give a ramsey a reek jason walcott my own goes to liana mormont if the great houses had a yearly b-ball tourney and i had a first pick i'd use it on her hashtag 62 times 10 hashtag micah would still work at that ball game hashtag follows life <laughs> matthew mccready at assassins underscore creed says my own goes to braun for being so sick of hearing how lannisters <laughs> pay their debts yeah, don't yeah, fucking yeah. say it Lady Peterson owned to knowing something fucking incredible was going to happen when they didn't go to opening credits after recap. Hashtag Gravedigger. Brittany B. Shoner on Twitter owned to hate for keeping both the Hound and Dreams of Clegane Bolt alive and well. Hashtag Gravedigger kills Franken Mountain 2K16. James Carson owned to Braun for being a trooper and helping out when all he wants to do is retire. Oh. Josh Schroeder owned to Davos for being the best damn advisor Westeros has ever seen. Hashtag Hal Seaworth. Hashtag It's New. You probably haven't heard of it. <laughs> Elizabeth Bird owned to Arya for surviving several stab wounds to the stomach. Hashtag Abs of Steel. Hashtag That Had to Hurt. John Targaryen on Twitter. My own goes to the Davos campaign. Hashtag Making Winterfell Great Again. Hashtag 62 men. Hashtag Hashtag someone kill Ramsey 2K16. Someone kill Ramsey. Anyone. Well, maybe he survives till season seven. Adam Dennison, owned to the Queen of Thorns for reminding Cersei how much she sucks at life. <laughs> Jared Kozal, owned to the Lady Leona Morma and her 62 loyal soldiers. If they're as fierce as she is, the Boltons are doomed. Hashtag pint sized badass. Frank Seitz, owned to the Blackfish for all the shade to Jamie and to Bron for reminding Jamie he lost his 
sword hand. Hashtag, I'll take the old man. At Aaron N. Riggs, my first one goes to director Mark Mylod for one of the best directed episodes of Game of Thrones. And Amy T. says, own goes to the newest boss-ass bitch, Liana Mormont. Hashtag, all you need is 62. Hashtag, future Queen of Thorns. Ooh, Might be. Yeah, I like that. Lord Edmanu Tully at Manuclear Bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Own goes to Daenerys for somehow attracting all the eunuchs to her camp. Unsullied Varys, <laughs> oh, now Theon. Man. That hurts. rough. Real. Marjorie Tyrell, Sandor Clegane with a damn woodcutter's axe. That's all the owns you need. Thanks, Marjorie. Thank you. Miranda Sanks, Liana Walmart owns for an own per word record. Shut that John mansplaining down. <laughs> hashtag. Wow. Bears will beat around the bush. 62. Hashtag. Did I stutter? No one tweeted in to say my own goes to the Blackfish for owning Jamie fucking Lannister. <laughs> hashtag. I'm only talking to you because I'm bored. Hashtag. Edmure who. Hashtag. Zero fucks given. True. L.E.K. Hashtag own to the kickoff of no one bowl. But really, it was Lady Liana, and that's good, who owned this episode. Put her on a dragon. No one bowl. At Satan's Jacuzzi on Twitter. Own a Lady Mormont. (laughs) You're gonna skip the other name? Fuck you. Own a Lady Mormont. I would have done the same thing, Eric. Uh, Thank you. Uh, You know what? I'm skipping that one entirely. King Renly Baratheon. (laughs) Renly underscore B on Twitter. Hey, buddy. Lord Glover, Lady Mormont, Olena, Jamie, Braun, and Blackfish all for their absolute savagery in that episode. Hashtag no chill. None. The real goose on Twitter. Oh, snap. Bargaining with with Oathbreakers is like building on quicksand. Hashtag do you have two years? Hashtag Blackfish for the win. (laughs) Snap. Because the name is too good not to say Hot Tub Fart says own to Lady Mormont for making a dude who came back from the dead wish he was never born. <laughs> That's too funny. Miss Molly, own Liana Fuking Mormont for being Mormont AF. That is all. <laughs> Pat Rouleau or Ruleo or Rulao or let's ask the French how to say it. My own goes to the entire episode for being more entertaining than game two of the finals. Go Warriors. Right, Micah, that one hurts. Yeah, that one hurt a little bit. Right in the feels. Uh, Trevor O'Hara, own to Marjorie for being able to fool everyone in King's Landing, yet being able to get through to Olena. Hashtag Highgarden remembers. Caroline Leonhardt says, my first ever own goes to Sir Davos for being the only one in Westeros that can talk sense with little curls. <laughs> not in a creepy way. Burnt cupcakes. Own to Brian Cogman. It's a big world he made in this one. Favorite ever. For real. To Brian. Tanya Og. Own to Arya. <laughs> Fuck me. For initially surviving six stab wounds to the gut. Unlike her brother John. <laughs> Hashtag. Wow. Sorry. Half brother. Uh, Wendell the White Fawn. Own to Littlefinger for not even being in this episode, but still making me cringe because I have to admit I want him to save the day. Ugh. Allison Fennessy says owns to one one for convincing the free folk with just one word. Paul Magranite owned to Ian McShane for being the first religious figure to admit that maybe they're all the same fucking thing. At uh, Red Exabi owned to Davos, the princess whisperer. Molly Reasley, my own goes to season six for making us totally rethink the Starks. Hashtag first Ned, now Rob. Hashtag are you a Lannister or a Bolton? At Gambit Joe says, my own goes to the showrunners for giving us three episodes without Ramsey. 
Hashtag, who has he killed in the meantime? Rickon! Yeah, Rickon's probably oh, got yeah. a leg missing by now. At MKKCP, my own goes to the director for making me literally shout, Gendry! Three seconds into the episode. Same. Me too. Benjamin Jacoby, own to this episode for feeling like a much-needed, missing-hound-centric episode of Lost. Liddy Silva, my own goes to Jamie's armor because goddamn... <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. True. No, it's true. It was perfect. True. It was good. It just happened. <laughs> All right. Angela Birmingham owned a lady Mormont who, despite looking like Ollie in a wig, proved to be more bare than Maiden Fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. She looked like Ollie. Weirdly. <laughs> I knew Hashtag you looked familiar. Sass Queen in the North. Marcus Strickland. First time own goes to Game of Owns for producing the best crackpot theory floating around in my brain this week. Arya plus riding Nymeria plus <laughs> big cloak plus Catlin face equals Lady Stoneheart. Hashtag Nymeria kills phrase 2K16. Hashtag best Halloween costume ever. Yes. Ooh. Jen Cleland Moore on Facebook. Negative owned to Arya. Come on girl, you didn't see that coming? Let's hope she runs into a friendly face. Hashtag <laughs> Serial pulls a Clegane. Hashtag Nymeria kills a wave 2K16. Hashtag where is a red priest when you need one? You guys, There's a I whole would be temple done. for them there. Yeah, I would be done if Serial Ferro came back because nothing could top that moment. Just put me in my grave. Melody Ramos Balls as first own goes to Lady Liana. If she had three dragons, this series would have ended two seasons ago. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Lady Liana for the Iron Throne. Hashtag Lady Liana kills them all. 2K16. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa Macaroni owned the Queen of Thorns for setting the record for the most owns in one scene. Hashtag because of your stupidity. Hashtag one of the most vile. Hashtag you have lost. Hashtag too many to remember. Griffin Hansen owned the Cereal Pharrell. Wait, that wasn't the one I wanted. Uh, oh yeah, it was. Owned a Cereal Pharrell for teaching Arya the lesson she needs right now all the way back in season one. Hashtag do we, uh, what do we say to the God of Death? Hashtag not today. But bonus own to Marjorie's notebook paper and number two pencil drawing of a rose. Hold on. Dixon Ticonderoga in Westeros. Murado Warrior. Andrew Eiffold. My own goes to Theon in the tavern for looking like a dieter in a cake shop or a candy corner, maybe. <laughs> hashtag Kyber's <Kybert's- Yay. laughs> candy up. corner. Hashtag <laughs> this used to be my playground. <laughs> bonus own to Santa Clegane for going for the healthy soup and breaking his chicken addiction. Sarah Clinton says own to Davos for saving the day once again, proving he missed his calling as the favorite teacher at the Westerosi school for badass girls. <laughs> Hashtag the principal who was promised. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> are you there, Davos? It's me, Liana. <laughs> 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 Hashtag tells in fourth grade connected. <laughs> All my favorite books. <laughs> Ashley Lynette owned a Mr. Glover for saying he he had John's older brother in his class last year and he got expelled, so he won't be putting up with his shit. Chandru Dantapani owned the show for bringing back someone from the, quote, dead each of the last five episodes. Uh, episode three, John brought back by Lord of Light. Four, Danny Unburnt in front of the Mother of Mountains. Five, Euron brought back by the Drowned God. Six, Benjin brought back by Children of the Forest. And Hound... Uh, brought back by a septon of the faith. Hashtag war of the five religions. Hashtag reading too much into it. Owned the show for not showing what Ramsey's doing to Rickon, which is making us imagine the worst of possibilities. That's true. I like that point, though, that um, Sandra makes. Yeah, it's very interesting. Will Netterville on Facebook owned to Bear Island for being the best kept vacation 
secret vacation spot in Westeros. Beautiful. That great. That, that looked establishing beautiful. shot. Yeah, that yeah. Establishing I would shot. hang there 24-7. For that, the North. Both River Run, and that looked yeah. beautiful. Wilson Guntang has a theory of his own. Says my own goes to the theory of the waif as Arya's personality being a no one trying to kill the other personality, which is Arya Stark. People looked at her oddly because she was not physically bleeding, yet she was acting as if she was. She was like Tyler Durden. She was fighting the waif when she was blind, but actually she was fighting no one. Get it? No one? Hashtag Arya's final test is to kill Arya Stark as the waif. Hashtag wait a minute, little child. <laughs> Hashtag clamshells and stab, 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 stab. <laughs> Hashtag wow. Aria Matzis. <laughs> Hashtag where's the panda in the house of black and white? <laughs> <laughs> your fucking Nikes. Raj and Luis Cerna. McShane just joined the YOLOs club. You only live one season, LOL. <laughs> Lol. That's messed up. We got an email uh, from Toby who writes in to say... My own ghost lady, Leona Mormont, for spitting that straight fire and handling her business like the dope-ass queen that she is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fire. Fire. F-I-Y-A. <laughs> Santa, fire. You just made that Comic Sans. Who changed it to Comic Sans while I was <laughs> reading it? That's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Email from Maxim Frankie. Own goes to sling blade foreshadowing with the hound. I think the hound is going to fill up on biscuits and mustard and chicken <laughs> and go all Carl on the unnecessarily mean and overwhelmed, overbearing Brotherhood Without Banners. Lawnmower blades aren't invented yet, so an axe will have to do. Whoa. <laughs> Peter Vermandelli, whose own goes to Yara's whore for having an ass you can't find on the Iron Islands. Hashtag that ass. I'm pretty sure I have an ass they can't find on the Iron Islands. Mike, can we say that hashtag again? Hashtag that ass. And now the final own. Dry your eyes, mate. At the Notorious CRG says, any own that doesn't go to Sandor freaking Clegane isn't real. Hashtag get hype. Hashtag hound is back. Hashtag kill zombie mountain 2K16. <laughs> Yeah, we got some good owns this week. We did. We hope that you'll continue to send in owns, even though we've defined, I think, what is the definitive own of uh, owns. And uh, here's how you do that. Tweet at us, twitter.com slash gameofowns or at gameofowns. If you're logged in on Facebook, go scroll up on our wall, facebook.com slash gameofowns. And via email, contact at gameofowns.com. We do this every week, folks. If you're watching and you think of something, send it in. And use a hashtag. They've grown. The popularity of like using hashtags and owns is my favorite thing uh, to come out of the last 65 days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From dying hounds to cursed children, all was covered on our brief squad cast earlier before recording this episode. We sat down. The Squad of Ice and Fire is Hannah's favorite podcast. You can find it over on patreon.com slash goo. And uh, we thank all of our patrons and our small council members for their continued support. I don't know if it's Hannah's favorite podcast this week. She had uh, some emotions. We'll have to. We'll see. Well, our coverage of those emotions was top notch as always. Mm -hmm. Don't fault the messenger there, Hannah. That's true. It's my safe space to be able to talk about (laughs) (laughs) things that are bothering me. (laughs) Once again, this episode of Game of Bones was brought to you by Loot Crate. Go to lootcrate.com slash owns. Enter code owns. To save $3 on your new subscription, 
today. And of course, uh, I know we've mentioned Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but there is another way that uh, all of you listeners can interact with the podcast, and that is by heading on over to iTunes and leaving us a rate and review. In the month of June, nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Uh, We read a couple of those reviews on the episode earlier this week, and we will, of course, read some more in the coming weeks. Uh, We thank everybody who has gone over to iTunes and left a review of the show. It's always fun to uh, go through and, and read what you have to say about the show, and I know that potential listeners find it very, very informative, so uh, we can't Thank you enough. And the hound is back. Yeah, I think it leads uh, leads to a lot of questions of what his ultimate destiny is going to be. We always talked about the possibility of it happening, and I remember back in the day when we were talking about it, Micah. I think I think you pretty much told me that uh, my hopes and dreams were crushed, and then I just had to deal with it. Maybe, and that was before the entire show was sullied for the mm-hmm. sake of the show. And after that, our hopes and dreams were still crushed. And I'm not sure why we think it's so interesting. But I think it's okay that we think that way, because clearly it is, judging by the fact that this episode was titled The Broken Man. And I know that there were several broken men in this episode. Only one broken man was chosen to appear before their credits came on screen. That is true. The gods aren't done with him yet. The gods aren't done with you yet. And unlike a lot of episodes of this show, some characters aren't given the treatment that Sandor Clegane was given in this episode being so heavily featured and uh, sort of arced throughout this episode to eventually close it and tie up his narrative that will suspend him and propel him into the rest of his story. So um very, very excited to see where it's headed and where everything else is headed. And Sunday, I think more so than most times, can't come soon enough. You guys, it's called No One. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be boring. It's going to be, it's going to be so <laughs> good. Episode That's 8. Night. We'll sit down with No Can One. Can we get No One on the show next week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>